Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest today is Randall J. Sanders, who you know from on Twitter as Randall J. Sanders. Uh, we both went to the Rockies Cubs series in Denver, so we talk a lot about that. And just the Cubs general, not very good play right now. So here is Randall. All right, Randall, uh, welcome back to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. Most Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me once again. Yep. So we come back to the podcast after the Cubs have not played very well recently. They just went on a rough road trip to Colorado and LA that you and I were both in attendance for some of the games, but didn't go very well. So uh, what, how do you feel about the Cubs at the moment? How do I feel about the Cubs at the moment? You know, they're, they're better than this. And I believe that, but the play right now is, there's just not a lot of life to it. They're, they're flat. They're struggling to hit mediocre pitching. Um, it seems like they're doing a poor job of retiring the bottom of the opposing lineup, but it always feels that way right now. It's, it's mostly that they can't seem to hit mediocre pitching. Yeah. And I guess a prime example of that would be, um, Ivan Nova last night, which is like, yikes. Yeah, Ivan Nova, as of last night, leading the American League in hits allowed. It's not that he's been bad, but he's been good lately. It's not that he has a great track record and he's just struggled this year. He's simply not a good pitcher. And even when he was with the Pirates and the Cubs are seeing him regularly, they could never manage to hit him to a level you would find satisfactory. So last night was an excellent microcosm of the recent frustration. Um, so obviously they're back at home now. Didn't go well last night against the White Sox. And I guess it was perfect for the internet that Eloy Jimenez hit the game winning home run. Start, start more narratives, but it's as if the writers decided to take a break and think, how could we make this loss just all the more insufferable? And they all had the little light bulb go on over their heads at once. And that's the outcome they read, they went with. Just just delightful. Yes. So obviously the um, big story for the Cubs this week was uh, Kyle Hendricks going on the injured list with uh, shoulder inflammation. The Cubs are saying it's not a big deal. They're saying it's a minor shoulder impingement, but they caught it early. So I don't know, you know, with their Cubs trainer's track record, but... Uh, they claim it's not a big deal. So, what do you, do you should we be more worried or? You know, I think when you're dealing with the the shoulder, um, not unlike when you're dealing with an elbow issue for uh, a pitcher, I think it's always prudent to be more concerned as opposed to less concerned because, and this is you know uh, a trade secret here. You need your shoulder to pitch. Um, and I would think any kind of injury to the shoulder, even if it's just quote unquote inflammation, um, is cause for concern. Um, so, you know, you would certainly hope that it's not going to be an extended thing for Hendricks, but even the entire rest of the year, it's still going to be in the back of your mind. Uh, gosh, is the shoulder still bothering him? How bad is it? You know, is he going to be able to keep pitching? 
Um, so it's certainly not what you want to see from one of your most important starting pitchers in mid-June, uh, but you do hope that it is going to be a relatively short stay for him and that he won't miss too much time. Yes. Um, obviously, the one good thing to come out of this last uh, little downturn in the season has been you, Darvish, finally starting to look like the pitcher the Cubs signed last year. I mean, it's only been a couple games, but even at Coors Field, he only allowed four runs in one inning, and the other innings he was good. And at Coors Field, I mean, look at that Padres Rocky series right after. I mean, only giving up four runs in six innings is pretty good. But Coors anyway, Field, Coors Field does strange things to good pitchers, and I'm not saying Darvish has been necessarily great this year, but even. Jake Arrieta at the start of his legendary run late in 2014 or so got absolutely lit up there uh, in a game at Colorado in, I want to say, August of 2014. The ballpark and the altitude just do things. Pitches don't break like they're supposed to. Um, so I'm, I'm usually inclined to throw out anything that happens at Coors Field. Jason Hamill, who was pretty good as a fifth starter for the world champion 2016 Chicago Cubs, he had a seven-run first inning start at Coors Field later on in that 2016 season. I'm inclined to throw out what happens at Coors Field. Just win the games. It doesn't really matter how you do it. But that start Darvish had at Dodger Stadium uh, last weekend, that was Darvish's best start in a Cubs uniform all this time when the front office has been talking about how there's going to come a point where we see Darvish walk off the mound after a seven inning, 10 strikeout performance. That's exactly what that was. And if they can get anything close to that continuing on from Darvish, then they are probably going to be in pretty good shape. And that was great for him to see based on some of his, uh, past failures at Dodger Stadium, and he said it himself. He feels like he can move on now, like he has exercised a couple of demons. And the game is so heavily mental that if that's one less burden on you, Darvish's shoulders, that he feels feels like he's gotten rid of and can move on from, that can only help. So, you know, we'll see how well that takes going forward, but that was the kind of outing you needed to see from you, Darvish, in Dodger Stadium. Yeah, and one more pitching note, of course, is you know, it was kind of with um, Cole Hamels, kind of been on a roller coaster. He was doing really good for a time, then really bad. But now he's just, his last three starts have been, at least last three starts have been just excellent. So, I mean, you got to be happy with that for, I mean, would you call him a fourth or third starter? I, I guess third at this point. You know, with Hendricks out, um, yeah, you know, you'd probably call him the third starter behind Lester and Darvish and ahead of Quintana. But Joe doesn't put a whole lot of stock in labeling guys the third, the fourth, the fifth starter. He arranges his starters as he as, as he thinks they are best arranged relative to handedness and stuff. Um, but he's he's just been on a great role lately. And to have the start he did in Coors Field, as we just talked about, which does just ungodly things to even good pitchers, um, and to do it to help the Cubs avoid a sweep, that's uh, that's a big start in a weird ballpark. Um, I was fortunate enough to be there for that. Uh, so, yeah, he's been on a great run. And just like Darvish's last start, you hope Hamels can keep this going as well because there's, there's no downside to getting great starting pitching. There's, there's no 
point where you say, gosh, I hope he doesn't peak early or something. You want your starters to go out there and pitch well every time. And right now, that's what Hamels is doing. So obviously now we have to go to the other side of the ball, the offense, which is just not doing anything the last, I would say, five games at least. Ever since they blew up the last game in Denver. so But since then, it's been not very good. Now, I, I am saying this tonight. When the Cubs actually have scored against Lucas Giolito, they uh, did pretty well against him so far. So. Yes. In fact, as we speak, they have hung five on Lucas Giolito. It was a 4-1 ball game when we started recording. And as we have begun recording, Wilson Contreras has hit his second home run of the game. Uh, so as we record, it is currently 5-1 to one in favor of the Cubs off of Lucas Giolito. So it's nice to see them break out a little bit, even if there's a little red flag, I guess, uh, about how, how all of the runs have come from one hitter. But when you're in a slump, uh, an extended slump offensively like the Cubs are, you certainly aren't going to be picky or try and look a gift horse in the mouth. You want the runs wherever you can get them from. And, of course, uh, I think one another thing that makes you feel better is one of the guys that has not been doing much lately has been Wilson Contreras. That's right, and it's, it's good to see him break out as well. Um, if he can get hot like he did at the start of the season, that will go a long way because the offensive downturn coincided with him getting with him cooling off and with Baez cooling off. And of course with Hayward kind of reverting to his, his modern mean a little bit. So if Wilson can turn that around and get hot again, I think that will go a long distance towards hopefully having the Cubs uh, be more productive offensively. Yeah. And you know, uh, one of our, our friends on Twitter, uh, Melissa BK, um, this is one of her biggest pet peeves about the Cubs, is the lack of bench depth. She's been on this for a long time, and I have to agree with her. because I mean, you look at the Cubs bench right now with with Descalzo and Russell and and what's left of Carlos Gonzalez, you don't feel very good about that bench. Uh, yeah, Melissa's been been on this long enough that I would go so far as to say she she owns the patent on this issue at this point. Uh, but she is absolutely right. The Cubs bench depth right now is perilously thin. You have two borderline unplayable middle infielders. You have a formerly productive corner outfielder who has already been released once this season, and you're starting to see why. And that's no unintentional slight to Carlos Gonzalez. He was a great player in his prime. He's fallen off the last few years. Um, so I don't mean to take away from what was a, a great career for him in the earlier part of the decade, but it's simply 2019 now, and he's not what he used to be. You know, who is, but still. Um, you have Victor Caratini as your backup catcher, who is starting to show some of that bat he did in the minors um, to justify the Cubs' keeping confidence in him and keeping him around, which is great. Uh, but your backup catcher, you don't necessarily want that to be your best bench player because that's a guy you're only going to play a couple times a week. And that's a guy you're going to be hesitant to pinch hit with late because you don't want to burn your second catcher. Uh, so their bench depth right now is perilously thin and something you would hope that they will address uh, in the near future. Yeah. So obviously Craig Kimbrell is on the way, so that makes you feel better. But the rest of the bullpen is not exactly, you know, wowing anyone. And, I mean, even the guy you would be most reliant on, 
Pedro Strope has not been great. And you do wonder if that's like lack of use and just being injured, but they, you, you feel like they need more than just Kimbrell down the stretch of the bullpen. Well, Kimbrell will help a lot. And I'm not the first to say it. I won't be the last to say it. It's, it's pretty obvious, but putting a reliable closer in that spot allows everybody else to slot back a role. And that, that makes a big difference. We saw the inverse of it in the second half of last year when the Cubs lost Brandon Morrow to injury and everybody had to slot down a spot. You suddenly had Pedro Strope closing where he had been setting up. You suddenly had Steve Ciszek getting the eighth inning for the most part where he had been pitching the seventh. It it makes a big difference. And in and of itself, it makes your bullpen deeper. And I agree the rest of the bullpen hasn't necessarily been lighting the world on fire or they have been lighting the world on fire, but not in the way you want. Uh, but it will make a big difference to have Stroke probably pitching the eighth, have Cichek probably pitching the seventh. And then you have, if your starter only goes five innings, you have guys like uh, Kinsler, you have guys um, like Edwards when he comes off the IL who can potentially pitch the sixth inning for you. And on a good day, it makes your bullpen a whole lot deeper. And that'll make a big difference. So Craig Kimbrell isn't going to fix everything by himself, but they signed him to be a difference maker. And if he is healthy and effective, he will be a difference maker. Well, uh, this is just me making my case to get like Will Smith or something. So, No, I agree. I agree. They definitely can't be done adding to that bullpen, but this is certainly the excellent first step. Like you are always going to need some kind of huge acquisition and then maybe a somewhat more mid-level acquisition. Uh, Will Smith isn't necessarily a mid-level acquisition, but relative to Kimbrell, he's more that. So I agree. They certainly can't be done adding to the bullpen, but this is a big first step for them. And it's one I'm glad they took. Yes. And of course the other good news is that while the Cubs were Doing this, our good friends in Milwaukee, the Brewers, have likewise gone into a bit of a slide. So I just wanted to say thank you to the Giants and the Padres for uh, helping the Cubs out. Yeah, the Cubs, uh, the Cubs do owe uh, a nice gift basket uh, of some sort to uh, some of the teams out all the way west. Um, if the Brewers were not regressing to their mean right now, if they were. Uh, on a hot streak, the Cubs could easily be three or four or five games back. And that would be a bit of an issue. It is only June, mid-June, but you still don't want to be three or four or five games back. But they have gone into a bit of a tailspin, just as the Cubs have. And that is very fortunate for the Cubs. And you certainly hope that of the two teams, the Cubs will be the team to come out of that slump first. And hopefully they can retake that division lead and maybe even give themselves a little bit of a cushion. Yes. Well, that's the hope anyway. And of course, amazingly, those freaking Cardinals are just two games back of first right now. I don't know how, but you'd think they were dead, but no. Well, that's what the Cardinals excel at doing. They are just about every movie monster ever and you're never going to believe that they're out of it until somebody shows you the body. And even then, the body will dramatically bolt upright and start terrorizing the town again. And the Cubs had a good chance to put them not away, but to drive them pretty far back in that series at Bush stadium a few weeks ago. And the Cubs of course got swept. And that's, that's largely why the Cardinals are still even remotely in it is because of course the two teams ahead of them haven't been doing anything particularly surprising. Um, The Cardinals, 
simply don't worry me all that much. They'll always worry you on the basis of being the Cardinals where they are very good at pulling success out of their, you know, where, um, but as a team, as they are constructed, we've seen them a fair bit this year. The Cubs have seen them nine times already. And there's just not much on that team that should worry you on the surface. And of course, if the Cubs don't play up to their potential, they're more than capable of allowing any opponent to overcome them, but there's just nothing on that Cardinals roster that should frighten you all that much. And if the Cubs can play their game and have the success that we believe them to be capable of having, the Cardinals shouldn't be that much of a concern. They're always going to be right there and they're always going to be threatening competitiveness. But if you can hold down just a few players on that team, for the most part, you can hold the whole team. So now I guess we'll get to the big thing because you and I both went on a trip to Denver to watch the Cubs play the Rockies. Now, I assume you've never been to Coors Field before. I uh, know this was in fact, my first visit to Coors Field. I actually saw the Cubs play in Denver in 1994 uh, at what would have still been mile high stadium. But this was in fact, my first visit to Coors Field proper. Yes. And for those of you listening who don't know, this is like, I believe my 15th, 16th. I don't know. I've lost track of how many times I've gone to Coors Field to see the Cubs play the Rockies. It's pretty much a yearly occurrence. So I know the lay of the land, but I was going to have you on as a first timer for what your thoughts were on the whole Coors Field experience. Uh, you know, I want to say in my being my first visit to the ballpark, I did like the ballpark itself very much. It's, it's very aesthetically pleasing architecturally. Uh, with the brick, it, it has a kind of a very nice footprint in downtown Denver. Um, there are, there's a nice little set of uh, restaurants and bars and attractions around it. And the ballpark itself looks very nice. I, I liked it in that regard. I've never been the biggest fan of the brand of baseball that is played at Coors Field, where the outfielders have to play so deep that anything hit in the air um, in front of them falls in for a base hit. And if they, if they play in shallow, of course, anything that goes over their head goes for two or even three bases. I've never been the biggest fan of that brand of baseball. I dislike uh, Chase Field in Phoenix for that same reason. But as, uh, as an architectural ballpark and as an aesthetic ballpark, I did like Coors Field very much. Yes, and of course, what I always like about it is uh, uh, Cubs fans pretty much have the run of the place. I mean, it's, it's I would say at least 70% Cubs fans. I don't... It was very heavily favored in terms of Cubs fans. And uh, during, during my stay in Denver, one of their local columnists uh, wrote a piece that I'm sure was tongue-in-cheek, but it's hard to tell these days, asking, should they ban Cubs fans from Coors Field? And uh, great, you ban Cubs fans from Coors Field. And again, I don't think the columnist was serious, but you never know. Great, ban Cubs fans from Coors Field. And that's another series that you're not going to sell out at Coors Field. Uh, but it was very heavily favored in terms of Cubs fans. And that made even the two losses, which weren't great losses, I would call them bad losses, and that made even the two losses uh, a little more palatable to perhaps know that there were any number of people in the building sharing in your misery. Yes. And, I mean, there were a couple moments that uh, the year before last year, they had this game where they had Almora made all those great catches and Baez in a home run, the crowd was chanting Javi. That was a lot more fun than this series, but... It was still, you got to see the win. I left, I saw the first two games. But. Yes, I was fortunate to see the one win out of three. And I guess that's the, uh, the benefit 
of going to all three games is if they're only going to win one, you're still going to see it. And it was a, a fairly tidy win. Uh, the other two losses were just not particularly fun at all. Um, but yes, yeah, so all, all the games, all the games were heavily favored in terms of Cubs fans. And that was, uh, that was pleasant to see. Yes. Um, so then I will, yeah, I did. I did enjoy that column though, that, you know, you hear a lot of it too with like the Brewers fans are very upset about it and the Brewers writers, but yeah, that's very, I don't know if it is tongue in cheek, but it, I'm sure it is, but it seems like the fans get very upset. They have, what did the Brewers, did they do that thing where no one from Illinois they did. They did. The Brewers, in one of their preseason ticket pre-sales, um, instituted a no-selling to Illinois billing address addresses policy. And perhaps unsurprisingly, Cubs fans still managed to show up to those games in fairly large numbers. Um, but that's that's what you see in every sport. The National Predators have been trying to keep out Chicago Blackhawks fans in the NHL for years. You, you see that in every sport where the smaller market teams will claim to really want to keep out the visiting big market fans, but they're perfectly happy to take their money just the same. Uh, you know, it's very much a matter of no, 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 don't come here, Cubs fans. But as long as you do, thanks for giving us your money for tickets and food and all of that. So I do think it's a little unnecessary. And I do think it says a little something about the franchises whom you see doing it as opposed to the ones you don't. Um, and I'm sure it's the sort of thing that'll kind of burn itself out in a couple of years. Uh, but there, there very much is a notion uh, among a lot of small market teams of trying to keep out the frequently visiting big market fans. Yes, and I will do my own little tongue-in-cheek that I always say when I go to Denver, and that is the Broncos are God. Whatever the Broncos do, the um, Rockies could be in Game 7 of the World Series. If the Broncos had a preseason game, people are going to go to the Broncos preseason game. Yeah. It's just the way it is up down there in Denver. So sure, and that's and that's the NFL. Um, you know, the NFL is going to claim the top spot in a lot of cities. Uh, I'm not sure the Bears would necessarily quite overcome the Cubs or the White Sox in that fashion, um, but they'd certainly give either team a run for their money. And but that's how it is. You know, the Broncos have been in Denver for however many decades. The Rockies have been there since 1993. So that's to be. Uh, that's to be expected. The Broncos have a much more entrenched uh, in fan base in the city than the Rockies do. Uh, but that's how it's going to be in a lot of cities where the NFL reigns supreme and is able to claim one day of the week for games and a number of the other days of the week for the news cycle. And that's how it is in a lot of cities. So I, I certainly don't want to single Denver out in that fashion. Yeah. And, you know, I also don't know what the setup would be if the Bears played the Broncos. So I don't know what if there would be how many Bears fans would go to that. So you know that's a that's a great question. My sense would be it'd probably still be heavily Broncos favored, just because NFL tickets are so much more expensive and such a completely different beast. I feel like maybe fewer people are inclined to maybe travel or go out of their way um, and then spend another goodness knows two hundred three hundred dollars on a NFL ticket. Um, but I'm sure you're whatever the Chicago expat population is in Denver. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of them uh, showing up for that Broncos Bears game in September. Yes, and I I only I went to a Broncos game to see my favorite team, the Rams, and obviously not a lot of Rams fans at the game. So I'm not an expert on that. So 
anyway. And like let Randall allow that Rams line to pass without saying something pro bears. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the high road here. It's good to do it every so often just to throw people off. That's right. <laughs> All right. So um, I will ask you one more question. Since it was a pretty funny uh, rant you had the other day. I want to hear your, uh, you know, distaste of the mountain time zone. You know, the, I don't know why it was so odd. Um, it's, it's only an hour behind Chicago. Uh, I guess mountain mountain time to me, as someone who has never lived in mountain time, just kind of gets lost. Eastern time is easy. It's an hour. Uh, it's an hour ahead of central time. Pacific time is easy. It's two hours behind. I guess sometimes I just forget that time zones are a thing and that mountain time is only one hour behind central time. And uh, I guess as I have traveled in my time, I've done it a lot more to Eastern time as opposed to going West. And so when I'm on the road for as infrequent as that is, I'm more used to being an hour ahead of home as opposed to an hour behind. So it was just one of those uh, adjustment things um, if to staying in a time zone to which I'm not super accustomed. Yes. Well, you know, it's, it seems simple to me as a full-time mountain time zone resident for my whole life. Uh, yeah, the Cubs start at 1220 or 6, 6.05. It seems pretty easy to me, but somehow people, other people don't get that. They don't understand. Right, and, and maybe that's part of it is that um, when the Cubs play in Colorado, the, the, standard, the standard start time for Rockies night games is generally 6.40 p.m. Mountain Time. So that's 7.40 p.m. Central Time. And that's kind of an odd start time. You don't get a whole lot of teams who start at 20 minutes to an hour. Um, you know, even when the Cubs go play the Diamondbacks in Phoenix and, of course, Arizona kind of has their own thing with time zones, those are usually 8 o'clock starts on a, for a night game. So that can, that's odd sometimes. So I think it's a combination of the time change and the fact that the Rockies just have odd start times. Um, so I think it's those two things that just do the most throwing off. Yes. I, I, I also do not understand the six forty time, but I, you know, teams are going to try new stuff. I mean, the reds are starting games at uh, six forty their time too. I don't so know the, if it's like a new trend or what, yeah, you know, I don't, uh, I don't get it either, but MLB teams are going to do what they think will get more people to perhaps show up after work, and that's their thing. Um, and that's fine, you know, teams are going to do what they feel they need to do, and it, uh, all we can do as fans is kind of adjust to it. That's right. Now, I guess that's all. Hopefully, the Cubs will still be, will be able to pull this game out. I've seen it's tightened. It has tightened a little bit in the time we have spent recording, yeah. And uh, the, the the radar here in Chicago is increasingly green and yellow, and it wouldn't be perhaps the worst time in the world in another maybe scoreless inning or two for that green and yellow to park itself over Wrigley um, and maybe stay there for the rest of the night. So you certainly hope that maybe uh, Mother Nature might be kind to the Cubs for a change. Um, but if not, they need to keep scoring runs. Um, these White Sox batters with their uh, 700 OPSs up and down the lineup don't appear overly inclined to just roll over. And as annoying as that is, you're just going to have to keep getting them out, and you're just going to hopefully keep adding on runs. So all we can do is sit here and watch. That's right. And I'll let you do whatever, you know, if you want to plug something. Your Twitter account, at Randall J. Sanders. Yeah, I don't recommend anyone follows me, but if you want to, I am at Randall J. Sanders. Yep, and 
uh, Crowley's Cub Kingdom as the t-shirts. Uh, yes, you can find our line of team chemistry and in-play runs t-shirts uh, from Crawley's Clubhouse. You can find him on Twitter at, at Crawley's Cubs. Um, and you can find our t-shirts in a variety of colors, styles, and sizes for both men and women. And a portion of every shirt sold goes to uh, DVLC Chicago, which is a local domestic violence charity. So if you need a gift, a Cubs-related gift or a baseball-related gift for the fan in your life, and uh, perhaps you are not overly inclined to give money to the team or the league, you can come see us. We'll be more than happy to help you out, and you can donate a little bit to a good cause while you're doing it. Oh, yep, that's a good good idea for everyone for a gift. So, as always, Randall, thank you for coming on. As always, thank you for having me. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at STH85. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just look up Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. should be there. You can subscribe to it and rate and review it if you want. And Let me know if you think I'm doing a good job or a bad job. And I'll have another episode soon. And until then, thank you for listening. <laughs>